Hi everyone, my name is Julia Ferrioli. Uh, my pronouns are she, her, and I am here today on a very, very rainy afternoon in Seattle recording this for Open Source Stories. And I'm joined today by Richard Litauer. And I am really excited to, to chat with you, Richard. Do you want to introduce yourself a little bit? Uh, sure. I'm excited to be here as well. Thank you for inviting me. This is exciting. I just said that. I just said that. Um, yeah, I'm Richard. I do a lot of stuff. Uh, I wear a lot of hats in open source. I'm a maintainer. I'm a coder. I'm a contributor. I'm a designer. But most people probably know me as that guy who runs the Sustain podcast, where I talk about sustaining open source. I also help out with other sustained stuff, like organizing the working groups and the conferences. And I also work at Open Source Collective, where we're trying to figure out how to work together and make a community of the 4,000 projects that are hosted there on Open Collective, which is cool. And I also host another community on digital infrastructure. Um, and some people also know me as the Bird Dude. I have an open source website called Birding in Vermont. So those are those are the hats that people know me under, I think, most of the time. It is hard for you to see this um, and definitely hard for people listening in to see this, but I am wearing a, a, a bird shirt in your honor. <laughs> so you are. Awesome. I didn't notice that. That's cool. <laughs> um, what's your favorite bird? Oh, man. You know, my favorite bird is the last one I just saw. It's not really my favorite bird. I don't really have a favorite bird. But I was just walking down downtown Montpelier in Vermont, where I live. I go for a walk every day, a couple times a day. And a American kestrel landed on top of City Hall, right on top of the spire. And I was taking a photo with my iPhone. I'm like, I wish I had my big camera lens. And I realized I carry a backpack for exactly that reason, Richard. So I pulled it out and got some photos. And I was so, so chuffed about it because I've only seen them once before in the city limits. And that was really cool. Um, I guess actually my favorite bird might be a cousin of that. The Jure falcon is a falcon I've never seen. It's an Arctic falcon that's bigger than a peregrine and totally gray and just monstrous and wow. cool. It's fell, you know, it's a fell bird. Yeah. So, I'm yeah. going to have to look that one up and maybe we can put a picture of it in the, in the story as well. That would be cool. Yeah, G-Y-R falcon. Oh, and I'm also wearing my bird shirt. This is uh, my Vermont park staff shirt. I never actually worked there. I just got a free t-shirt from my friend who did. And I wear this whenever I'm working on my book of bird subspecies that I'm writing at the moment. Oh, wow. So this is my like lucky writing shirt. So it's also a green birding shirt. So are, are you one of those people with the gene that you don't have to sleep very much? I, I really wish I was. I really, I really wish I was. I am not. It sucks. It sucks so much. I need a minimum of seven hours to feel normal, but preferably ten. Wow. Yep. It's okay. Not not easy. Yep. Okay. Well, um, your your hats seem to be piling up in the corner over there. So hopefully you get to take them off at some point and sometimes, relax. Sometimes. Well, I relax by doing other stuff. You know, I relax by working on other things. That's I'm not very good at relaxing. I don't really Netflix. I I probably Netflix 
too much considering everything I say yes to. Mm. Yeah. That's fair. Yeah. I just unsubscribed. And now I just don't have Netflix and it works <laughs> works really well. Um But yeah, I so my my surprise fun fun question because it wasn't about birds. Um, yes. Wh- what's going on with Francis Bacon? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, Francis Bacon eggs is really dumb. It's really dumb. So uh, years ago, I just randomly thought of the phrase Francis Bacon and eggs. I don't remember why I thought of it. I don't remember how it happened. But then. The other thought, it's its actually, I actually don't remember the origin at all. I just remember being like, that should be a cooking show. I have a book of Francis Bacon here. I have a funny tweed jacket. I'm going to read Francis Bacon and make eggs. And so I have a YouTube channel called Francis Bacon and Eggs. It's like 15 episodes long. There's some little nice music at the beginning and the, at the end. Uh, I'm not a good cook. I don't try to be a good cook. I don't try to be a good reader either. I just read Francis Bacon and make eggs and you get what you pay for, which is nothing because it's free. <laughs> And uh, it's really fun. I really like it. It's dumb. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, I think I might know the origin. Oh, what, what is it? What is it? So I believe there was an Ask Reddit thread ages ago about things that you misheard. I've seen this one. I like this one a lot. I think of this a lot. And it was like this one person who said that their father would say quotes and then say Francis Bacon. Francis Bacon. And they misheard it as France is bacon. (laughs) Yeah, I love that. I love that. Um, Francis Bacon has got to be the best QED-like statement ever. You know, like... Bam! Nope, Francis Bacon's over. Um, <laughs> the funny thing is that Francis Bacon is really inintel- like unintelligible. He's a horrible writer. <laughs> like His essays are basically the worst written blog posts of all time. They're not well-formed. <laughs> They're not particularly logical. And it's it's all antiquarian English now. It's Yeah, I don't know why I keep doing it, but every now and then I just make another episode. And um, Francis Bacon. It, it's your version of, of My Drunk Kitchen. Well, I already have a drunk company. Well, there that's right? true. See, hats. So, too many hats. Too many hats. Not enough not enough heads. Uh, no, just not enough actually performing on the commitments I actually made. Mostly, uh, my, my life is a long history of promising stuff and then being like, sorry, I did this other thing instead. Love me anyway. Wow. That's extremely relatable. Yeah. <laughs> Good. Do you... How do I formulate the question I want to ask? Because I feel like this is a natural segue to open source. Um, do I have ADHD? What, what, what are you going to ask? <laughs> well, I'm wondering, do you think that the the culture of open source drives us to some of some of that that behavior the overcommitting do you think there's a pressure there yes 
Yes, I think there is. I think what's difficult is that most most of the open source code I've seen and most of the people I know who've done it didn't start because they had a really well-planned architecture. They didn't have a, a cathedral lined out and they weren't starting to build the, the basement. They were very much looking at their neighbor's stall in the bazaar and saying, I could sell that better. And then writing a new program to try to do it and then getting way too obsessed with like how the things were laid out in their stall in the bazaar. Um, I like the word overcommitting because it has kind of a double entendre there, right? Like too many commits, too many commits. Oh wait, fix this, fix this. Okay, finally fixed it. Four commits, so like could have been one. Um, yeah, I think that the, the 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 natural instinct to create something new without worrying about the the downstream effects is like the story of open source. It's there's an interesting tension, too, between. the usability or the approachability of open source to new people and the proliferation of projects. You know, I don't know what new people look like in open source anymore. I rarely, rarely talk to people who are just entering. Oh. I talk to a lot of people who've been in the space for five years and a lot more who've been in it for 20 or 30. But I don't talk to a lot of people who are like entry-level engineers trying to get involved with open source. And I imagine that they're horrified because nothing makes sense and they suddenly have to have a portfolio right. and they don't understand stuff. Um, I would love to talk to more like code academies or something. Like who are the people who are just learning about it now and how do they experience it? I, I have no idea. Well, it's interesting because, you know, we've got GitHub for Education, right? Lots of yep. universities and colleges and, and I imagine the high schools at this point um, are using GitHub as how they turn in homework. Yep. Cool. And specifically, like, Jupyter Notebooks. I was about to say yeah. IPython notebooks and realized that would that hasn't been a thing since ages. So um, that's how I learned. So we didn't have GitHub when I was a when I was a student. It was annoying. I actually told some of my teachers about it, and they're like, "Okay, please stop raising your hand in class, Richard." Um, and yeah, it is it is interesting. When you think of schools, I guess I wasn't thinking of schools. I was thinking of just normal coders. But mm -hmm. of course, people are being taught coding now at a, at a huge amount that I right. I always forget about. Um, I just messaged a friend of mine around 30 minutes ago asking if he does any open source code because I want to talk to people who aren't normal coders. Mm -hmm. He's a postdoc at MIT. He studies gravity waves. He's probably the smartest person I know in terms wow. of raw smarts. Um, he always loses to me at risk unless his wife... Uh, gangs up with him like last time anyway um and he was like what's open source again and i'm like okay <laughs> i i don't understand how people don't know in academia but apparently there are still people so i'm i'm really interested in in, in that response to like who's teaching it and who isn't learning so far i bet i bet we can find you a like if you really want to do this we can we can find you a cohort of sure 
Why not? That was actually an idea that I had for for a theme um, to do a series of let's talk to like people just entering the world of open source for like five or six interviews, story sessions. Yeah, that would be great. I mean, I taught people five years ago. I used to mentor mm-hmm. classes at Lipitanu, which is a code school in Montreal, and that was really fun. But it hasn't. It's been a while. Yeah. Um, So I actually um, I actually took a look at at your thesis in preparation for Oh no. I know. Oh no. Which one? The the one on open source and minority language? Yes. Yeah. Cool. Yes. So and I was very, very interested to go to the um, what is open source definition. Um, oh man, I don't remember writing that. That was a while ago. What? What did I mess it up? I mean, no. I mean, you 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 defined it very technically. You've referenced a lot of the the tried and trues, uh, the cathedral and the bazaar, which you mentioned, or you were alluding to earlier in this conversation. Um, OSI, all of that, all of that stuff. Um, I'm wondering though, how would you define it? now how would i define open source uh i'd go with toby longel's definition which is a bit different or his graph um which is that open source is actually much larger than just the osi and osd um i think for that thesis i was doing it technically because i was having to pass a german technical board in order to get my master's degree so it was like uh what am i gonna do um but i like the idea that open source is a larger tent it's much more a culture. It's much more a community. Uh, even though community is a horrible word that's often just misused everywhere. It's much people working together in a similar way. Maybe another way of saying it. It's a method. Um, but I don't think open source has much to do anymore um, with the license because that's such a small part of it. It's a part that enables the rest, sure. And it's still accurate to say that open source code is a code that has been licensed legally compliantly. But yeah, I would say it's, it's the culture of giving back more than you take if you can, or just giving back at all, and thinking about your upstream and downstream dependencies in a way that doesn't take them for granted. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and a commons. I often think of it as a commons, a digital commons. One of the, the problems that I see people running into, and in in, especially for folks newer in the open source community, <laughs> said the word, yeah. um, <laughs> is that people do have these different interpretations of, of, of what it means. Yep. And how, how do you think the importance of language factors into how we interact with each other in the broader ecosystem. You're begging the question. The importance of language is begging the question. It's, it's Sorry. Coming. No, it's okay. I'm just pointing it out, right? I looked yeah. up a word today, mushburgers. Someone defined a wave as mushburgers. We went over some mushburger waves, and I was just like, what the frick does that mean? This is William Finnegan's, Finnegan's book, Barbarian Days on Surfing. And I looked for the word on Google and the only example of mushburgers, which I know what it means, 
it's very clear what mush burger means if you're an English speaker. It's like just a crappy kind of mushy wave. I don't know why you'd say burger, but like I get it. Mm-hmm. And the only definitions came from clippings from people being like, what word is this from his book? And so it's clear like it's just a new word that's a server jargon that hasn't really entered mainstream. And that's cool. And that's fine. So it doesn't have to be an OED definition. So when I think about open source and the importance of open source, I don't actually think about that. Like, I don't care about open source. I don't care. Like, at all. Open source is, is, a, is not something I care about. I care about people. And people work together in this one culture slash community. Culture is probably a better word. Ecosystem. I have a friend who uses the word ec- ecology. Um, in this ecology, in a really interesting way, and a lot of them are my friends. And those are the people I actually get up and work for or think about or try to help um, or feel anxious about disappointing and therefore make actions so that I can make them not disappointed in me. Um, but what about the importance of open source and having a technical definition? I'm not Stefano. It's not my job to be the president of the OSI. It's, it's not my job to be a policeman. And if anything, being a linguist, my degrees were in linguistics, has taught me be descriptive, not prescriptive, which is a prescriptive statement. But uh, just I just look at it and like, oh, that's cool. You're using the word that way. Like ethical source isn't open source. Cool. That's maybe true for you. That's not true for me. I think it's open source. And if people say, well, it's not, you no, know, whatever. How do you how do you bring people together when talking about open source? Offer cake. Um, Offer cake? Is that what you said? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's great. a very good tactic. So I'm all yeah. for that, especially if I'm on the receiving end of the cake. So, yeah. yeah. Okay, cake. Cake is good. Um, no, how do I? How do you bring people together when talking about open source? Well, I don't... I'm not saying I don't use the word. I use it all the time, forever and ever and ever. And I say I care about it all the time. But, like, it, it's not the open source that matters. It's the shared idea of open source. And I'm just very happy with it being fuzzy. Mm-hmm. Because the fuzziness isn't what I'm here to do. I'm not here to, to put a structure on it. Um, I'm here to connect people. Um, and that's what I... Mainly what I do when I bring people together on open source stuff is I say, here are things you could do that can make your life easier if you're already in this culture. Mm-hmm. Or if you want to be in this culture, here's these things you could do to be more open sourcey you know it's kind of like zen in the, auto, in the art of motorcycle maintenance you don't have to define what goodness is you just know what goodness is because it's a quality mm-hmm. it's a thing in the world uh and i think all things are that way we don't have to go around looking for neoplatonic chairs they just reference what a chair is and then ask people to sit in them this might be my favorite conversation this week um so thank you <laughs> Um, what do you see coming on the horizon for, like, what's the next big crisis for open source? Well, the, uh, yeah, there's a few answers. Um, ecosystem collapse is one of them. So that's pretty bad. Um, that's going to affect everything, and that's the answer above all answers. Open source will not be here in 200 years because it's likely that this culture won't be here in 200 years, which is great and awful Mm -hmm. at the same time. So that's one answer. Second answer is I think that we're seeing fractions in the open source movement, 
and the fractions are going to eventually divide it in a way that'll be unmaintainable. One of them is politics, because we already have that in America. Like the last 40 years has been a long story of downward mobility in America and extremism. And I don't see that changing in open source. We already have people like, you know, I, I'm not going to mention the things I don't want to talk about, but fractions happening. Um, mm -hmm. Also, geopolitical fractions between, say, Ukraine, Russia, open source coders not really working well together right now, or China, all sorts of things. Or America also being a corporate or horrible superpower. Um, so those are some other things, but those are easy answers. The harder answer is I think we're going to see um, a falling out of the barrel of people who actually want to commit to open source anymore because they can't be bothered. Mm -hmm. And I think it's just going to get worse. And what's going to happen then is you're going to get corporate extraction on a massive scale and people taking random modules and then making something else and open source ceasing to be a word that's actually useful as a way of thinking about the community and instead just being a way for large corporations to talk to each other. And I think this is already happening in a very, very big way. The JavaScript community is not what it was five years ago. Um, which stinks and makes me sad, but that's how it is. So we're going to see more of that falling out. We're going to see more deaths among the community yeah. with people just leaving large swaths of code unmaintained. Um, and we're going to see corporate investment and in, like on a corporate um, governmental investment in a way that will be one-sided and lead to a lot of grift. Um, and that's not going to be good either. And it already is. Yep, that that's kind Sorry. of yeah. No, no, no. I asked. I asked the question. I deserve the answer, um, or answers. Um, the other answer is we're going to see people move away from open source as just a catch-all term for everything mm -hmm. because they're not defining it. I mean, I, I'm part of that problem, but the larger problem is that open source right now depends upon unmaintained people trying to buff their CVs up. But at some point, CVs won't matter very much because you won't be able to get a job very easily. Mm -hmm. And so open source just becomes this sort of large wash where people are actually working without pay and then not being able to afford their lives, which again, leads to more downward mobility for people in the middle class right now who have gotten there with open source. I think it'll get worse if you don't save up. So doom and gloom. Factor in burnout. Um, yes. Factor in a fact that sometimes open source leads to the neglect of other parts of your life. Yep. Uh, it can, it can wear, it can wear you out for sure. Yeah. Not everyone has the ability to go walking for an hour and a half every day. That's what I do. You know, I have to get away from my screen. Um, and I have really strong connections in my community, but that's because mm -hmm. I went out and spent a lot of effort on them at the expense of other things. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, not great. Um, not cool, but also, you know, humanity will continue and there's always going to be artists on the edges making really pretty things. So that's cool. Just look at those. What would you tell somebody that's just coming in to open source, however you define it, to help steer the ship, to help avoid, avoid personal overcommitment, over burnout, I guess over burnout is a uh, um, is redundant, but how would you how would you advise them? Decide if you want to be a specialist or not. If you don't want to be a specialist, don't code. Stop. Be a specialist in something else. Um, be a specialist in community management. Be a specialist in design, because being able to inhabit multiple different hats multiple different like areas is going to give you a much more resilient network in the face of small changes. 
Um, so if you're going to be a specialist on P2P programming, you better be really good at it and spend a lot of time at it. And you must enjoy spending six hours a day working on that sort of stuff. I didn't have that. And I, I thought I was bad for years until I realized I don't have to do that. And then I was much happier. Um, so if you're going to do open source, I would, I would say that. Like, be really good at what you do and commit to it. Or recognize that committing is hard. Know your boundaries and decide to actually be the person who connects other people who are good at that sort of stuff. Um, those are the main things I would say. If you're not going to either of those two things, recognize that open source will have limited gifts to give you. And so don't lean on it as the only thing in your life. Lean on your business skills. Lean on your family skills. Lean on other things that will help you continue to use this as a measured way to maybe partially improve things. Uh, in the same way, good fiscal responsibility with your grocery shopping helps you, but doesn't necessarily solve everything. That is very good advice, and I think is applicable far beyond the world of open source. It's also pretty general, <laughs> but I, I wish someone had told me that, you know? Right. Actually, someone did. Vlad, Vlad did say, read this entire book, and when I didn't read it, I realized, oh, okay, I'm not going to be a good JavaScript programmer, because I didn't read the book. Cool. What else can I do? <laughs> <laughs> what is bringing you joy right now? Oh, man. Uh, what is bringing me joy? Reading, having space. Really, it's this stupid fitness routine I'm doing again. I haven't done it in like two years. It's called 75 Hard. It's made for bodybuilders who want to get swole and stuff. But like the whole idea is you um, work out an hour and a half every day, one of which has to be outside. You drink a gallon of water. You read 10 pages of a book that's helpful for work. You visualize success for 10 minutes. You have a five-minute cold shower every day. You take a progress photo. Then you do eight hard things, which aren't habits yet, but which you want to be habits that you have to do before you can go to bed. Um, and you follow a diet. And if you do all those things, it turns out, A, you get exhausted. And then you get over it and learn how to set smaller things to do. And B, you feel really good about yourself because you're well slept, well hydrated, well fed, and well worked out. And you're doing stuff at work that makes you feel good. So it's almost impossible to like lose. Um, and I really enjoy this program. Uh, I wouldn't suggest anyone do it, but every time I do it, my life just immediately is like, wow, cool. I feel good. I mean, I, 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 I do some of that. I drink four liters of water a day. Great. Um, and I exercise for an hour and a half most days. Great. But more on the, like, let's keep the body from falling apart rather than the let's get swole sort of thing. <laughs> so. Well, for me, it's not about getting swole for me. Yeah. For me, I, I just, that's the people who made it. They're like, you know. Yeah. It's a lot of gym rats. But, like, for me, like, I just feel better if I do that. And if I don't, I'll get depressed. Mm -hmm. And if I get depressed, which, you know, that's just how my body works. It's kind of sad. Then I don't work very well. And then I get more depressed. And then I have a whole cycle downward. And it takes a while to get out of it. Whereas if I just do this, it's much harder for me to cycle downward. Mm -hmm. And it's much easier for me. I was going to merge a PR today that I thought really had to be merged. And I was like, okay, let's do this. Okay, let's... And I'm like, you know what, Richard? A year ago, you said in an issue that you were giving up maintainership of this repo. And I pressed Command W and haven't looked back. I didn't have to do it. And I, I, that power was there because I'm like, I'm already satisfied in other parts of my life. I don't need to feel good about merging this thing. For listeners in the future where keyboards are no longer a thing, um, that closed the window. Yeah, it was great. It was great. <laughs> trying to future-proof this thing. Um, Sorry. Any, any parting thoughts for, for us today before we wrap up? 
Um, parting thoughts. Not really. I'm just really grateful. I'm really grateful. I write down who I'm grateful for every day. Three people in the morning, first thing in the morning. And uh, it's a really good practice. And I'm grateful for you for accepting the fact that I was 15 minutes late because I was on my walk and forgot. And I'm grateful for this being able to be here. And um, I'm grateful to everyone in open source who's continued to... Well, not that guy. But everyone else in open source who's continued to bring me joy and happiness. So thank you. Well... Thank you, Richard. I'm grateful for you. And um, I will close this session, leaving all of you wondering if you're that guy. <laughs>